Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. But before we even get started, I've got to ask you something, guys. Have you been watching the impeachment trial? Have you been watching the impeachment trial? Look, if for some uh, reason these senators decide to give Donald Trump a pass and not convict him for what has occurred... They would not, it, it's not about hurting Donald Trump. It's about preventing this from happening again. And what it shows is that there would be a party in this country that is willing, that is willing to have an insurrection with no consequences. The insurrection either works, and if it doesn't work, oh well, just a little fight. Five people dead, no big problems. This is, uh, America is on stage right now. And we have to determine as a country. And those of you who have senators that are in these states that seem to not want to convict Donald Trump, I suggest you start calling them because this is worse than a domino effect. This is an example effect. This is an effect that people around the world will look around and say, if the United States can't get that straight, why should we? It is so important that we get this stuff straight, my brothers and my sisters. Donald Trump must be convicted. And every senator that votes to acquit Donald Trump, every senator that votes to un, 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 uh, acquit Donald Trump, we will be in their skins. We will be reminding everybody and all of us who have a platform should be out there making videos, writing blogs, and putting in the American psyche that these are guys, yes, they need 67, that these are guys that were willing to put our country at risk. At this point, this is a patriotic issue. This is a national issue. This is something that is not a joke. People died. We almost lost our democracy. Now, this happens because our constitution is, it's, it's immense, immensely weak. I want to remind you of something. Everybody that's listening here, uh, this is a lot of times Democrats don't like when you say this, but it's important that we say this. Donald Trump came closer to winning, even though he lost the popular vote by 7 million votes, than Hillary Clinton almost won, even though. She lost the, even though, I mean, then, then President Trump won to Clinton, even though he lost to her by 3 million votes. Here's why. Hillary Clinton, if she, in the three states that she would have needed in the Electoral College, it would have only required 80,000 votes. But guess what? 40, some 44,000 more votes in, in, in three states. Even with Donald Trump winning by 7 million popular votes, 
would have given Trump the presidency. Now, I find it, I find it disgusting. I find it embarrassing for them that there are people that are fighting so hard for a win when your guy lost in a landslide of American votes. Are they saying that the individual votes of people is worth less on the coast than those in the middle states? Are they saying that those folks in the middle states are more worthy than those on the coast? How is that determination being made? Please tell me. A few weeks ago, I showed you guys a, a, a piece that said 67, or I think it is uh, uh, to, probably 67% of the GDP of America comes from blue counties. I'm not saying that to create a blue versus red. There are reasons why, and we want red counties to fight for what's theirs. But what we have to say is those people who control red counties are the ones who keep them in dire straits. It's not progressive policies that do it. Look at every county in this country and the counties that are doing poorly are the counties that are red counties. I mean, it is so much, it is so time now for us to start telling the truth about what's going on in this country. For too long, too many have been misinformed. And it's not the fault of the people in the red counties. It is the fault of the news media not telling the truth. Here is a, uh, let me go ahead and put this on the screen because I want you to see this. Uh, Blue America, the, the, title of the, the title of it is, let me put it on the screen real quick. And then I will go into the show. But this is so important. And I'm saying this for my my blue, my red brothers and sisters. Harris County is blue. Harris County is blue, and it produces more than just about every other county in this country. All right, let's go ahead and take a look. 71% of our gross domestic product comes out of blue counties. And there they are on the screen. If you notice, there's Harris County in there as well. And 29% of our GDP comes from the red counties. In other words, if we want to be technical about it, the blue counties are supporting the red counties. The blue counties, and that's just a matter of fact. And let me, let me play what I, 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 I did for that show right there. Let me do this. Reed Sicaria had a great documentary out last night called The Divided States of America. I need to put it in a bigger, big, bigger amplification for you because I want you to see it better. Here we go. Phil needed to put together a critical business plan. States of America, what is tyrannous Let's start it over. And Reed Sicaria had a great documentary out last night called The Divided States of America, What is Tearing Us Apart. And there's a particular clip that I really honed in on, but more importantly, there was something that wasn't said about that particular clip that I think we need to explore. So let's show the clip, and then we'll take it on the other side. To better understand how the country has become so polarized, so divided by class, you need only to look at this man. In the 2020 presidential election, the counties that voted for Joe Biden, taking up a small part of the country's geography, were responsible for 71% of the nation's economy. That vast sea of red, the counties that Donald Trump won, contributed a meager 29% of American GDP. It illustrates that the United States may be one country, 
but two very different worlds, divided by two things above all, where you live and whether you went to college. People call it the diploma divided. More educated Americans are overwhelmingly becoming democratic, less educated Americans moving much more into the Call. This is particularly true among white voters. Just look at the breakdown. Blue America is mostly urban, densely populated, diverse, with a large share of college-educated workers in professional and creative jobs. When people talk about the degree divide, that's really the class divide. Having a college degree, that's actually the strongest proxy for who is in the professional managerial elite. On the other hand, Red America is home to the country's beautiful heartlands and vast farms that feed most Americans. It's not nearly as crowded. It's whiter, with more Americans who work with their hands. Fewer here attend college, and they don't like the urban professional elite. This divide has only been sharpened by the pandemic. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, college-educated workers were far more likely to telework and maintain their standard of living than those without education. I think people who didn't go through those four years see the rules being broken all the time. <laughs> by bankers, by economic elites, and they feel like, hey, if somebody's going to break the rules and be on my side as a rule breaker, I'll accept that. I love the poorly educated. For many white working class voters, Donald Trump seemed a messiah. of the United States are forgotten no more. You work hard, you pay your taxes, you do all these things and you were forgotten. They forgot about you. And Trump did nothing for them, but he knew how to exploit them. Okay, I just wanted to, to see that little piece there. Okay, Eric, no, I'm not saying that you need a, to be... Uh, Eric says, and I, I want to... Uh, Bust that right away. Actually, it's supposed to be the United States, right? So who cares about... Yes, it's supposed to be the United States, but that's not how the Trump people do it. They do it as if there's, as if we are insurrectionists or, or we are taking something that, that belongs to them. That is how the Trump people see this stuff. Now, you also says... So it sounds like they're saying that you aren't a person if you don't have a college degree. That's not what we're saying at all. At all. In fact, we're saying the opposite. What we are, in fact, saying is that... Uh, the places that are generating all the wealth right now is uh, is our blue counties, and we have to ask ourselves why the red counties are not performing. And the red counties are not performing because they are run by a by a, a value set that is not very productive. It is that simple. The numbers are in the numbers speak for themselves. If if the things that you I mean uh, so don't blame blue counties for being or, or, or for uh, something that's done poorly in these... Let's look at McCall, uh, McConnell. McConnell live in a state that depends on the federal government. He begs the federal government, not begs, but when there's money allocated, blue states like New York, blue states like uh, all the other blue states, Connecticut, uh, they go ahead and they put a lot of money into the federal government. That money then goes into Kentucky for all their programs. And, and how, why do they need all of that? Kentucky has a very low tax rate. And what else is there about Kentucky again? Oh, we don't like to pay for services for our citizens. So other people pay it for you. And then you go ahead and wonder why is it that your citizenry isn't moving forward. It's the policies of low taxes that do very little to invest in humanity, invest in your people. 
Now let's look at a place like New York. Let's look at a place like California. They have their problems as well, but they have a hell of an educational, upper educational system. They also take care of the people's health care. Uh, let's get real. We have to get around from these policies that are, are, are restrictive, these policies that are anti-human, these policies that support the wealthy because if the wealthy don't have a lot of taxes to pay, oh, they want to be there because they don't have a lot of taxes to pay. Anyhow, let's go ahead and get the, uh, a lot. It, the, it, it all scales. It all scales. It all scales. It doesn't matter about how many people live in New York versus how many people live in Kentucky. In fact, we could make the argument that because Kentucky is more sparsely populated than New York, that Kentucky has better options for their people to be more wealthy. But that's for another time. But that's not what happens because the, the, the massive land that you have in Kentucky is controlled by a few the rich few that you guys many times in Kentucky support. Anyhow, let's go ahead and get the program started a little bit late, but we're going to go really, 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 really quick, quick. Okay, uh, let's go to the program. What is it going to be called today? The title of the show today is, here we go. Let's go ahead and put it on the screen. There it's on the screen. Tom Hartman discusses his new book and insurrection, Host Slams GOP Impervious to Truth. Absolutely impervious to truth. Radio host Tom Hartman discusses his new book and the insurrection and more. Nicole Wallace slams GOP. She also points out how impervious they are to truth. It is important. It is important. As I watch the, the, the case on TV right now, what I find amazing is that some senators can see that they can hear the evidence and they're still going to vote against it. But let's listen to what Nicole Wallace had to say, and then we'll take it on the other side. MSNBC host conservative Nicole Wallace continues uh, her attack on the Republican Party, justifiably so. Uh, it is amazing. In one minute, listen to what she had to say, and then we'll take it on the other side. But when you look at that Republican vote, it could have been Linus and Charlie Brown. They don't care. This is a story about Republican subservience. It's also always going to be the day that the GOP broke up with the Constitution. One of the most compelling parts of the case made by uh, House impeachment lead manager Jamie Raskin um, and, and his colleagues was that the actual text of the Constitution holds for a remedy precisely like what is on the table and that the Republicans are staring at their toes and fidgeting in their seats and doing paperwork instead of looking at what they enabled, instead of looking at what they ushered in, is the story. It is the twin headline with re-traumatizing and reliving the attack on the Capitol. I think the other headline out of that vote is that Chuck Cooper, who is, again, someone with nothing to lose, or with nothing to gain, everything to lose professionally, reputationally, and perhaps even socially. I don't know if some of these people are personal friends. He went out there and told the truth. They are now impervious to the truth as a political party. They are now not capable of hearing facts. So all-consuming is their devotion to an ousted, deplatformed ex-president. And also this. And the fact that after the insurrection, which all evidence suggests was terrifying for all the members, all the senators, mm -hmm. all the members of the House, all their staff, all their family members who they made those phone calls to, the fact is a party that comes out of hiding, out of shelter for their lives, and votes to disqualify an election they all know wasn't fraudulent yeah. is irreparably broken. 
And that is concerning. I mean, uh, we make fun about, oh, these guys are loony. Oh, these guys are factless. The thing about it is, no, those senators know the truth. They absolutely know the truth. They've so mislead their people now that their people only know material that's been misleading. So now they cannot afford to tell the truth about anything and they are stuck. That is bad for the country. It's a good thing right now that we have a sane party, even if you're not in complete agreement with them, that has a slight majority governmentally. But we have to remember that this is not a democracy. And because this is not a democracy, we have to always win overwhelmingly for those people who, for the, for the thinking politicians to take power, we have to beat by the popular vote uh, by a lot. Therefore, those that are in power now, you have to execute. You have to show people that government work because the lies and misinformation that's been told to a sect in this country is so large that unless we keep the, keep the power on and also work methodically to bring quite a few people back. Remember, Trump got 74 million people. Don, uh, Biden got 81. I mean, we were just so happy that the progressive base and all the different bases worked so hard to really bring people out. But remember, that's more, that's the second highest amount of folk any party, any presidential candidate had ever gotten. He got more than Hillary Clinton got when she beat him by 3 million votes. So, folks, we got a lot of work. And what Nicole Wallace is doing right now is really important. She is a sane conservative that is at least has the bona fides to go ahead and talk about her former party. Very good job. I love Nicole Wallace. I simply love Nicole Wallace. Nicole Wallace is not only good on the facts, but she just seems to be that genuinely nice person. Even when she was a Republican, full-fledged, and she spoke to you, she never, or I, 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 I think she's a darn good woman. So um, kudos to Nicole Wallace. Anyhow, folks, um, going, back to, going back to the issue about the, uh, about the, the people here, we have to get to those people. At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business are heroic, and you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance, wholeheartedly for you. I'm Robert Conte, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. I have an urgent message. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities have increased in D.C., and I need your help to reverse this troubling trend. Did you know that using a seatbelt can drastically reduce the risk of death or serious injury to you or a loved one? Seatbelts save lives, and together we can accomplish a safer community. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Always wear your seatbelt. Click it or ticket. We need to get to those people. I mean, Q and all these guys that they're using to really mess with them. Now, earlier Eric said, uh, do, are you saying that uh, 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 people have to go to college to, to mean something? No, not at all. But what I will sure hope is that we start back teaching critical thinking. Because if you had critical thinking, Q would not work. Here we have Tank 28. He just said, wait till March 4th. That's a new date that Q told them, right? First it was, it was the 6th. 
Then when the sixth went by, they had another date. Before they, 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 I mean, Q just keeps stringing them along, right? Q is not even a person. Q is a, a money-making machine. I did some research on Q, right? Q is a whole conglomerate of different websites and people that are milking all those people who believe in Q and Donald Trump's a part of it. You notice if you take a look at when uh, you watch the Capitol, this is so important. Watch the Capitol. Watch all those Trump flags and Trump hats and MAGA hats. Guess where they bought that from? Trump. Okay. They bought that from Trump. So this is a huge money-making machine for Trump to keep this crap up. So it's not going to stop anytime soon. He's going to milk these people and he's going to string them along. Oh, it's, the, it's a March 4th. Ah, when March 4th comes, it's actually we misunderstood what Q said. It's really April 17th, right after tax day. And then they'll have another date and they'll keep stringing them along. And by then, they're so vested. They're so vested in this conspiracy. To leave that conspiracy after being so vested in it means to some of them that they lose something of who they are. As opposed to just saying what I would say, whoops, I guess I made a mistake. Shouldn't have trusted Q. Q is a joke. Q was just and always has been a money-making joke. Buy the Q t-shirts. Buy the Q this. Not like Politics Done Right trying to tell you, hey, buy the Politics Done Right t-shirts because I am telling you what I'm doing with the money. I'm supporting this program. I'm making sure that I can survive to support this program. But Q? Oh, send them. And, and the Q, you know, it's a, it's a perfect capitalist setup, right? Q just goes there, take your money, and call it in. Look, uh, the, uh, the Tom Hartman uh, interview comes next, but before I want to go ahead and do my pitch, if you are on YouTube right now, folks, please consider clicking that Join button and becoming a subscriber. Why do you want to subscribe? And, and if you are not on YouTube right now, if you're on Facebook or any one of our internet uh, stations, go ahead and click on the link that I'm putting in the chat right now, which is politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube politicsandright.com slash YouTube. What that does is uh, we put out a whole lot of progressive videos, progressive blogs, progressive messages, sometimes articles in the newspaper, and we do all of that to maintain, to make sure that we get our message out. The right has a whole lot of people that pays to do that so that it seems like they have more strength than they really do. They have much less strength than we do. We have the posse. PDR Posse is one of the pieces of Posse. What we do is we go ahead and we create all these progressive data out there and we put it on the internet, we put it in newspapers, everywhere else. Why? So that our message can come up in search engines and otherwise. So please consider clicking that join button and join or go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube. That is how we make a difference. Alternatively, you can support us on Patreon by going to youtube.com slash Patreon youtube.com slash patron and that's what I, I just put that link in there or you can support us at paypal by going to youtube.com slash paypal youtube.com slash paypal uh the book on the screen right now it's worth it how to talk to your right-wing relatives friends and neighbors is one of the books that we have here our goal is to speak to everybody we don't want to leave everybody like we have a lot of conservatives that listen to the show as well and we want all these folks to also know you are a part of this family we may differ in ideology i am going to try like hell to talk to you and talk to you about what we think 
uh, is best for your families, for you, etc. You can give the alternative viewpoint. Who knows, maybe you'll be able to tweak some of what we have to talk about. I have no problem about that, but we must talk to everybody. We mustn't just think about this being a 50, point, 50 plus 1 to, uh, because you can't really govern with 50 plus 1. You need more, you need a, a more solid base. So please consider getting my book, How to Speak to Your Right Wing Friends, uh, Neighbors, etc. Here is the, uh, here is a link on Amazon, but if you want to cut the middleman out, you can buy the book directly from us. How do you buy the book directly from us? You go to politicsunright.com store. Let me tell you, um, we, uh, we have been selling, in the beginning we sold a whole bunch of these books, and the reviews have been very, very good. Uh, lately, it's slowed a bit because, of course, you know, you reach a certain point. What I want to ask all of you to do is to share these links for the book, share these links for our show, share these links for our PDR Posse, and invite others to, um, to join us, to buy from us, uh, etc. And why do we want that? That is how we can support what we're doing. Now, one other thing is uh, Bridge MCP, one of our leaders in the PDR Posse, she created a cup. And that's a cup on the screen that I have right now. Uh, you can go ahead and get the cup. I mean, the, her, her cup pretty much explains what we are all about. And that's why I love when she built it, when she designed the cup. Because to the bottom of the cup, you notice what it says, we the people. And you notice it shows left and right. The idea is we want to talk to everybody. We want to be a part of everybody else's life. And you can actually get that cup by going right there. Now we're going to bring on Tom Hartman. After I've already given you all that stuff, the store and all of that good stuff, let's go ahead and bring on Tom Hartman, and we'll then take it on the other side. Tom has a great piece, a whole lot to say. Here we go. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis. Today, we are honored once again. I've told this guy every time he comes out with something new, we've got to have it. And Tom Hartman is here with us. For hey, Egberto. Hey, how you doing, buddy? You know, but you know, you, you answered before I got a chance to give you the proper introduction, my brother. Okay. I want to give you that. You know, Tom Hartman is the progressive national and international talk show host. He's been named the most important progressive host by Talkers Magazine. He's also a New York Times bestselling author whose books have been translated into multiple languages. The Tom Hartman Show has been a top 10 talk show talk radio show for over a decade it's one that all of us live up to all of us that are doing this this the guy and he's here to discuss his new book the hidden history of american oligarchy reclaiming our democracy for from the ruling class tom hartman how are you doing today my brother i'm great it's it's always Wonderful to be here with you, Egberto. Well, I mean, it's always Thank great you being with you. It's always great seeing you. Last time we met, we could actually shake hands and have a hug in, in where was that, Philadelphia? Was killing, I think. Yeah, Net Roots in Philadelphia. Now we're all locked up for a year. Yeah, <laughs> it's very strange. But, but, you know, we're still alive. Hey, we're still alive. We're still, <laughs> we, we made it through so far, so good. We just have to hold on a bit longer. But anyhow, Tom, um, you told me you were going to write this book. And, you know, I hadn't read it. I scanned through it. You know, I, I knew the interview was coming up and I said, oh, I got to get to it. And, and I went to a particular part on it to say, you were reading the tea leaves, man. Mm. You were reading the tea leaves on, 
on the oligarchy, uh, the formation, not only the formation of the oligarchy, but how it needed a sort of a uh, insurrection uh, to come, I mean, lead the, the insurrection to kind of metastasize itself. I'll tell you what, why, why don't you tell me why did you write the book, first of all? Well, I, I wrote the book because I've been watching this process uh, my entire life, and I'm getting increasingly alarmed by it. Um, uh, over the last 20 years, we have seen America pretty much slide into full-blown oligarchy. And oligarchy is defined as rule by the rich, essentially. A small number of very wealthy people take over the political system of a nation. And the principal signal of an oligarchy, the, the, the signature that you see in the data that indicates oligarchy, is when government stops doing what the majority of the people want, which is what's called democracy, and starts doing what the oligarchs want, you know, the very, very rich, which is oligarchy. And uh, a couple of years ago, Gillens and Page, these two researchers out of uh, Northwestern and, and Princeton, published this mind-boggling study where they went back and looked at pre-Reagan revolution, by and large, what the most majority of people wanted, pre-1980, what the majority of people wanted got translated into legislation. It's how we got Medicare and Medicaid and long-term unemployment insurance and food stamps and Pell Grants and, and housing assistance and, and you know, anti-discrimination laws and civil rights laws and voting rights. I, I could go on, right? I, I mean, the list would be a hundred things long. That all happened in the 40s, 50s, say 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and right up until the early 1980s. Reagan comes in and flips our system upside down. It really was a revolution and not just an economic revolution, a political revolution. He brings in the oligarchs with a little help from the Supreme Court, and, and they, they set up shop and take over. And what Gillens and Page found was that um, you know, they published their study in 2014, but what they found is in the, in the roughly decade and a half leading up to that, since, since about 2000, what the average person wants as measured by public opinion polls on public policy almost never gets translated into public policy. It's a, the, the association between the two has been reduced to what they described as random noise. Whereas what the oligarchs want, what the top 1% wants is almost always translated into public policy or, is, or when public policy is created, it's most often driven by what the oligarchs want. You know, there was basically one um, legislative accomplishment of the entire four years of the Trump administration, a $2 trillion tax cut for billionaires and big corporations. That's oligarchy. The problem in Britain, and the, and, the, and the thing that keeps me up at night is that oligarchies tend to be very unstable. They tend not to last very long, typically not more than a generation. And what comes out of them typically is one of two things. Either the people rise up, overthrow the oligarchs, and, and you flip back into a democracy. This is when a democracy becomes an oligarch. Either, either the, the small D Democrats or small R Republicans, the people who believe in a democratic republic, flip the country back, which happened here in the United States twice, once with the Civil War, when we fought back the oligarchy in the South, and once in the 1930s when Franklin Roosevelt fought yeah. back the oligarchs who had crashed the economy. Or the oligarchs look around and say, hey, pretty good system we got here. We're scraping all this money off the, off the middle class, and we're getting richer and richer, and these pesky people, we got to do something about it. And they flip the government into a police state. And you're watching that happen right now in Hungary, in Russia, in, in, in Venezuela, in uh, Brazil, in the Philippines, in Turkey, in, in um, uh, Egypt. I mean, you, you could just go through the list of countries that at one point were democratic, 
the oligarchs took over. And then when the oligarchs were challenged, when the people were in the streets, the oligarchs said, okay, that's it. End of, end of discussion. We're going to go full police state. And we're on that knife's edge right now here in Let the me, United States. You just mentioned police state and, you know, uh, did, did it bother you when you realized there were a whole lot of organized ex-military guys uh, going through the Capitol during the insurrection? Didn't surprise me at all. Not at all. No, I mean, that, in fact, that's what you would expect. Um, the fascism is most attractive to people who have what are called authoritarian personalities. Robert Altmaier wrote a book about this called The Authoritarians. John Dean, um, based on Altmaier's work, uh, work and research, wrote a book called Conservatives Without Conscience, which is about authoritarianism within the conservative movement. And you know the broad estimate is about 20% of Americans are strong authoritarians. Um, and 99% of authoritarians are authoritarian followers. They're authoritarian leaders in their own homes. They tend to be the husbands who beat their wives or yell right. at their kids or whatever. But um, in the grand scheme of their lives, they're really authoritarian followers. They're looking for big daddy to keep them safe. This comes out of, uh, or the best guess is, <laughs> There's a big debate about this in the psychology community, but the best guess is this comes out of uh, periods of, of terrible insecurity during their childhood. And uh, so, you know, they're looking for somebody to say, don't worry, I'll take care of you. I'm in charge. I alone can, can solve the problem. Trump, yes. Trump. And, and, and they bind to that big daddy and just, you know, you can't peel them away because this is, this is now the life raft for them, the psychological, emotional, and political life raft. And people who join the military and people who become police officers are way, you know, authoritarians are way overrepresented in those two populations. Instead of being 20% of the population, the percentage of people who are authoritarians in the police and the military is, uh, depending on which study you look at, and which area you're looking at, and which part of the country you're looking at, almost always well over 50%. And sometimes oh, much over 50%. Wow. Yeah. So, so of course, if you've got authoritarian followers in the military or among police departments, they're going to bond with an authoritarian leader like Donald Trump or Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley or, or Tom Cotton, uh, you know, the guys who are competing to be the heirs to the mantle of Trump. And uh, so, no, I wasn't surprised. I, I, I was horrified, but I wasn't surprised. It was disconcerting because um, I, I, I wonder many times if Donald Trump thought he had more support in these forces, you know, remember how the National Guard didn't show up until very much later. And if he thought, I, I wondered if, if the plan just kind of went awry a little bit, but that it was much better plan than we thought. I think it was. And, and I think, you know, we've got this smoking gun memo now that the acting Secretary of Defense, who Donald Trump put into his position the day after it was announced that he lost the election issued this memos to the DC National Guard saying, you may not show up unless I give the permission. And for four or for four hours, at least during the storming of the Capitol, numerous people were begging him for that permission and he was withholding. Um, that said, you know, I, I, I sure hope the FBI is interviewing this guy and all the people around him. But my question about that, what do you think they really, what do you think the intent would have been to hurt the, hurt the Congress people, leave us without, like, uh, decapitate the government, the, the, yes. the, the congressional yes. part? And yes. then hang Mike Pence, assassinate Nancy Pelosi and whoever else you can find 
Um, and then Donald Trump would walk in and declare himself emperor, basically, and it would be the end of the American experiment and the beginning of strongman rule, just as has happened in Russia, in Hungary, in Germany in the 30s, in, uh, uh, you know, in Italy in the 20s, uh, et cetera. Do you think that would have been sustainable with the current military that we have? It's hard to say. You know, where Trump tripped up is he has strong support in the military and among police, among the rank and file, because that's where your authoritarian file right. is. Um, he, he didn't have the level of support that he needed in the senior command of the military. I, I believe that the one force that probably prevented America from, from experiencing a complete Trump coup was the Joint Chiefs. You know, was the, the letter that they wrote, maybe? The, the, mil the whole military command structure. The, these guys take seriously their commitment to the Constitution and to American democracy. Right. It, it is a shame how close we came. Now, a part two of your book, how oligarchy led to the Civil War. Tell me why did you do that? Well, you know, this is the, the you know, I mentioned earlier that twice we've had oligarchs rise up and challenge democracy in the United States. Um, the first was in the, in the uh, early, the first half of the 1800s. And uh, it was the result of a technological innovation, the cotton gin. Mm -hmm. um, cotton seeds are notoriously difficult to pull out of cotton. Mm -hmm. And the bottleneck in cotton production was taking out the seeds, cleaning what's called cleaning the cotton, carding the cotton. And, and it had to be done by hand, you know. And, and um, Eli Whitney invented this contraption, the cotton gin, that could do the work. One machine could do the work of 50 enslaved people trying to clean the cotton. And, but it was a very expensive machine and it came into common, you know, it was, it was widely available to purchase by 1815, more or less, 1810. It was invented in 1798, um, but it took a while to get it to market. And so the largest plantations in the South bought these cotton gins and now they were literally 50 times more productive. I mean, cleaning the cotton was the big bottleneck between growing it and shipping it. Mm -hmm. you know, most of it went to Europe, much of it went to Europe anyway. And um, by eliminating that bottleneck, they became so much more productive and so much more wealthy that they wiped out all their smaller neighbors. Because there were a lot of, you know, 10 acre and 50 acre and 100 acre cotton farms in the South, across the South, a lot of them. And by the 1830s, by the middle of the 1830s, the vast majority of them were gone. They had been run out of business. Their land had been bought by the giant plantations. And the people who'd lived on those farms were now tenants uh, you know, growing cotton, still growing cotton on the same land on the same and living in the same house, but they didn't own it anymore. Um, sort of like what we saw when Reagan deregulated, the right. and stopped enforcing the antitrust laws in 83. And, and suddenly we had farm age, you know, Willie Nelson trying to help out farmers. It was kind of the same dynamic. Well, what happened was over the next decade from 1835 to 1845, these uh, giant plantations, uh, the, the, the people who owned them reached out to take over political power in the southern states, succeeded in doing that, and turned the, uh, the, southern, the southern states, which already were police states. I mean, the Second Amendment was passed to protect the slave patrol right. in Virginia and, and South Carolina. I think we've talked about this on your program. Yeah. Um, so they already had that police state apparatus, and they flipped their government into just full-blown fascist oligarchy. oligarchy. But the problem they had was that seeing a functioning democracy north of the Mason-Dixon line was 
creating, you know, was rousing the rabble, as it were, and, and not just the people who were enslaved, but, you know, the, the, the white small farm owners who'd been thrown off their land as a result of this, this consolidation. And so the, the oligarchs of the South decided that their best means to, to survival was to end democracy in the North. And so they declared war on us. And we fought that war and 600,000 people died. And, uh, you know, we, we broke up that oligarchy to a certain extent. I mean, if Lincoln hadn't been assassinated, we would have succeeded. He, he, it was a huge mistake Lincoln made in choosing Johnson as his VP, but that's a digression. That's a whole other story. So then the second time uh, it happened, again, it was technology. It was, it was the, the railroad and steel and oil oligarchs who came out of the Industrial Revolution in the 1880s. Standard oil and all of them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Rockefeller, Carnegie, et cetera. And, and, and Morgan and, and, and these guys, you know, rose up and, and took over the government again. In fact, in the 1920s, uh, Harding, Hoover, uh, Coolidge and Hoover put them in charge. I mean, you had Morgan as the secretary of the treasury um, and they crashed the economy, of course, because they had just, you know, during the roaring 20s, so-called, uh, the wealth of average people actually went down, pay actually went down. But all this money went to the top and they had to have some place to put that money. They poured it in the stock market, created a huge bubble and, you know, the rest is history. But that opened a space for Franklin Roosevelt to take them on. And when he started talking about he was going to tear down the oligarchy, he called them economic royalists. When he was going to take them down, they, they got this group of 100,000 uh, right wing veterans, this, this very, very conservative veterans group. Um, signed up to go to the White House and kidnap and either kill or imprison Franklin Roosevelt. And they were going to replace him, you know, with a good conservative Republican. And I, this was an actual coup attempt. Yeah, that, I, I, I didn't know you were going to. I, I, I read about that. Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason that it fell apart was because the, the, the it's called the businessman's conspiracy. You can look it up. Was because these guys tried to hire Smedley Butler. He was the most famous military hero in the country at the time. You know, the hero of World War One and the Spanish-American War. And Butler blew the whistle on. And uh, you know, the Congress held hearings for about a week, and then FDR shut it all down because he was afraid other people would get ideas. But he then went to war with the oligarchs and put them back in the bottle. And they stayed there until the 1970s, until the mid-1970s. And then the Supreme Court let them back out again with these two decisions in 76. Yeah. Yeah. So that, 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 that is a shame. And, and now I think you're, this is the one that you call not a third oligarchy rises yeah. with Reagan. Uh, what would you call Trump, the, the, you know, the Trump era? Well, it's, it's the logical extension of the process that Reagan put into place, which was shifting America from being a functioning democracy and into a full-blown oligarchy. Um, you, could, uh, you could build a case, and I do in the book, that uh, Reagan and many of the people who were with him on this actually thought they were doing the best thing for America. Uh, back in 1951, Russell Kirk in his book, The Conservative Mind, that kicked off the modern conservative movement, animated Barry Goldwater, William F. Buckley, and all these other guys you know, made the argument that if the middle class continued to get wealthier and wealthier at that point in time in 51, the middle class was actually their wealth and their income was growing at a faster rate, percentage rate than was yes. the wealth of the top 1%. And Russell Kirk said, if these, if this middle class gets wealthier and wealthier and more and more independent, you're going to start seeing um, young people disrespecting their elders. You're going to see a <laughs> breakdown of society. Young people will disrespect their elders. Women will disrespect men and their, and their husbands minorities will demand equality with white people and society is going to fall apart and and 
you know, at first and throughout the 50s and even the early 60s, people thought, eh, Russell Kirk, he's a crank. Um, you know, and Barry Goldwater's into him, but he's still a crank. But then in 60, 61, the birth control pill was legalized. So by 64, 65, you had a full-blown women's rights movement in the work, you know, want, wanting rights in the workplace and independence from their husbands. I, you know, I still remember in 1972, um, it was when the law changed in 71. I, Louise and I got married in 71. For her to get a credit card, the bank you required have... my signature. Yes, imagine that. get credit cards. So, so anyhow, you had this full-blown women's rights movement, women burning their bras. You had young people saying, hell no, I'm not going to go to Vietnam and burning their draft cards and take, smoking pot and growing their hair long. And you had African-Americans, you know, Martin Luther King leading a civil rights movement. And, and by the late 60s, you had cities that were on fire. And at that point, the conservatives who, who had been poo-pooing Russell Kirk looked around and said, holy crap, he was right. And, and, and you know, our society is disintegrating. And we've got to dial back the wealth of the middle class. And so Reagan comes into power thinking the most effective way to do that is to destroy the unions. And as, as a special bonus, the unions are the principal funding source for the Democratic Party. So, hey, we can create a permanent uh, Republican Permanent majority, exactly. moral majority. Yeah. You, what is interesting is that there's another piece that I read. You know, like I said, I selectively go to certain parts of the book. And I noticed you, you, you spoke about something I like to talk about a whole lot, and that was how the Powell Manifesto was so well designed to yeah. execute the, the, the skeleton of this movement. Why don't you tell us a little about that? Well, in, in 71, you know, in the late 60s, as I said, it became obvious to, to these conservative politicians that, that, or they believed that Russell Kirk was right. And they thought that we were in the middle of a process that was going to lead to anarchy and the disintegration of America. And so uh, the, the head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Eugene Sindor, um, met with his old friend and neighbor, uh, Lewis Powell, who was a tobacco lawyer, and asked him to come up with a blueprint for recovering America's greatness, greatness you know, for stopping the chaos. And what Powell said was, OK, we've got to pack the courts with our people. You know, no more of the civil liberties BS. We've got to take over the schools and the colleges. We need to control the textbooks in elementary and high schools. And we need, and we need to uh, be putting our people in, as professors in uh, poli-sci and, and econ classes in particular. Um, so no more socialism being taught in our schools and history classes as well. Um, you know, we need to, we need our, our people need to buy the media. We need to get control of the media and create our own media infrastructure. We need to build think tanks that can get our ideas out and produce papers that will be, you know, our letters to the editor and op-eds that will be published all over newspapers and, and across the country, um, you know, and on and on and on. I mean, you're very familiar with the Powell memo too. Um, and the, by that was in 71. In 72, Nixon put him on the Supreme Court. Yes. Uh, you know, he was part of his two decisions, <laughs> Buckley and, and Bellotti in 76 and 78, that said that when billionaires or corporations own politicians, it's no longer considered bribery or corruption. Oh, no, it's, it's free, it, free it's speech. Exactly. It's speech, man. You know, you remember we were we we did a few things together, moved to amend in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C. I mean, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is it is mind boggling that uh, that how, how things come around. Now, folks, before we go any further, you have to get this book, American Oligarchy. And let me tell you, because I think. What a, one of the things I like about your books is that it doesn't only come with complaints. 
it actually says what we have to do and the, the and and whenever i pick up your book that is actually the first place i normally go to to kind of check out okay so what do we do so folks you need to go ahead and get that book it is the hidden history of american oligarchy reclaiming our democracy from the ruling class but if i have tom here I got to pick Tom's brain on where we are right now. So, Tom, where are we in our democracy? But before I handle that, I want to say neoliberal versus conservative differences. When you rely on the Internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on Root Metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement. Well, increasingly, there's not much difference. I mean, you know, historically, uh, conservative conservative meant um, in favor of social change, but slow and gradual. Don't disrupt things in the process of improving things. Um, that was kind of the functional definition up until the 1950s. Obviously, there were strains of, of you know, segregationist racism uh, within the conservative movement and, and uh uh, bizarre machoism and things like that, but they were they were viewed as the as the lunatic fringe. I mean, witness uh, Dwight Eisenhower's 1954 letter to his brother Edgar, you know, saying, you know, there are some, uh, you know, Texas oil billionaires who think you can get rid of Social Security and do away with these uh, social welfare programs. He says their number is small and they are stupid. Um, but uh, the the neoliberal philosophy, the idea that basically society should be run for the ruling class. Um, is just an extension of this idea of creating stability in society. And, uh, you know, it, it infected the Democratic Party in large part because Reagan was so effective at destroying the unions in the 12 years of the Reagan-Bush administration that Bill Clinton had to go hat in hand to bankers and insurance companies begging for money. Um, you know, he created the DLC so that corporate money could be funneled into the Democratic Party. Before that, the Democratic Party was almost entirely funded by average working people through their union dues, you know, it was the unions. But uh, Reagan, Reagan gutted the unions. Um, so, uh, you know, when he you started- You know what is so the, sad about the unions part though? Um, and, and I find it, I don't know how, I try to find a way to get around it. It's amazing how negative a large percentage of Americans are to unions. And that is because of how they, you know, the, the, these guys have done such a good job of defining socialism, defining unions, defining what those key words mean. And it kind of cauterizes into people's heads that union, bad, socialism, bad, all these things that, yeah. that come 40 years of propaganda. Yes. Yeah. And so we go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I finish your thought. I'm sorry. Yeah, what I was going to say that I, I think that the job that you do, the job that we're trying to do in the independent progressive media is what has to keep getting done because the reality is right now, um, there's no one speaking to, there's no one really trying to, I don't want to, I don't want to sound presumptuous and say educate Americans, but to at least let them be more aware of how things really work. Your thoughts? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, the key to solving our, you know, I talked about the media in the book, you know, that, that we need to be building a strong progressive media infrastructure. And we don't have that right now. Um, but in terms of where we're at right now, I mentioned that oligarchies typically don't last more than a generation before they either are overthrown or they become police states. And the, the principal weapon that oligarchy uses against democracy is cynicism. Mm -hmm. Cynicism is poison to democracy. And because democracy requires citizen engagement and if citizens become cynical, they don't engage and therefore you can't have a functioning. Mm -hmm. And so we are, you know, we've got about 18 months here. And if Joe Biden and the Democrats can't uh, destroy the filibuster and actually accomplish things for the American people so that we can go back to what public opinion polls show the majority of Americans want, the majority of Americans get. I mean, for, for over 20 years now, the majority mm -hmm. of Americans have wanted no more student debt, no more medical debt, you know, national health care, et cetera. Um, if we can't, if they can't pull this off in the next 18 months, then the next president will be a Republican and will be almost certainly a fascist. And that's the end of the American experiment. Um, because people, I, they'll say the same thing they did, you know, with Obama and Clinton, you know, nice talk, but hey, you didn't get a damn thing done. I, you know, and I'm wondering if I'm seeing Biden, who I once considered a true neoliberal, I am actually wanting to, I'm actually seeing a little, another side of him. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, with the 1.9 trillion and sticking to it, with the, with the stipends that he's given to the American people, which eventually should turn into something like basic income, I am starting to see sort of a resolve that says we're not going to repeat the same mistakes. And if they do that, even if they're not a full-fledged, full progressive, I think it, it, it's a good start. Your thoughts on that? I completely agree. And it's why I have not been willing to go full circular firing squad on Biden at all. I mean, not at all. You yeah. know, I, I, I didn't like that they are, you know, that they're going to means test this 1400 bucks, but, you know, I'm not willing to take anybody down over that. Uh, the, the future I can't say this strongly enough, emphatically enough. The future of democracy depends on the ability of the Democratic Party to prove that a democracy can deliver results to the people. And the Republicans are going to fight that every step of the way because they want that cynicism. They want people to say, oh, those Democrats, they talk big, but they never do a damn thing. I think I'll vote for the Republican. I mean, keep in mind, Donald Trump stole Bernie Sanders' platform. Yes. Donald Trump ran on raising yes. taxes on rich people. He said, I'm going to get slaughtered by this thing. You know, people are going to hate my My, my friends are going to hate me. He, he campaigned on a, on a national health care. So he said, everybody's going to have health care and it's going to be cheaper than you ever. Then you can imagine it'll be better. And, and, and he campaigned on bringing factories home from overseas. You know, this was Bernie Sanders' agenda. Yes. He was lying through his teeth, but, you know, people were like, okay, cool. We're ready for some friggin' change. But you know what is interesting, um, Tom? Uh, Steve Smith, Republican turned Democrat, mm -hmm. said exactly what you just said. Yeah. Our well, democracy. It's not, it's not like it's a mystery. It's fairly obvious. I think. Maintaining our democracy runs through the Democratic Party right now. Yeah. I agree. That, and, Sch and Schmidt is talking like I am. I mean, he's like, you know, we're at this crisis point. I, I you know, I've, I've been, I was first shocked and now very impressed by 
Steve Schmidt, and I'd love to have a conversation with him. I doubt he would be willing to do it in public about I tried you know. to get him. I mean, I, I wrote a piece about him. He liked the piece. When he liked the piece, he followed me. I said, the good opportunity to get him now. I try to get him. When you get him, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> but... But anyway, uh, Tom, why, I, he, why he stuck with the Republicans so long, if he if he's this thoughtful and insightful. I, I, no, he he's a true conservative. He re, he believes in small government. He's a, he's a true small government type conservative where the free, you know, I mean, he, he doesn't he's a good guy, but he he doesn't believe government should be as big as it is. I do believe in big government. I think government needs to be big. That's my opinion, because I think it needs to be bigger than any corporation. It needs to be as big as it needs to be to set to, to meet the needs of the people. Of the people. Of the country, you know? yeah. yeah. And that also means being bigger than the corporations as well, because if the corporations are bigger than the government, they own the government, you know, right. so and you have oligarchy. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, Tom, I asked this, you, you know, this, what, would you like to tell me that I didn't ask you and I should have? I think you did a very good job, Egbert. <laughs> you know, hey, guys, if, 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 if Brother Hartman says that, it means something. Tom, it's been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right as usual. Folks, please remember to uh, get the book, The Hidden History of American Oligarchy, Reclaiming Our Democracy from the Ruling Class. New York Times bestseller, buddy. Tom, thank, thank you for you. being on Politics and Right. Thank you, Egberto. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on your program with you. You do great. Thank, thank you. I simply love that guy. He's, uh, he's our uh, commensurate, progressive radio show host. Love the guy. I think all of us uh, walk in this guy's shoes. You know, I mean, this guy has been at it for a very long time, and he has put it on and given it the best that he could throughout and through in so anyhow look thank you guys welcome aboard bridge mcp bridge 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 uh avq welcome aboard haiku 33 michael rudnan uh let's see tank 28 uh we also have uh deborah john welcome aboard deborah it's too long for me to read it right now but i'll read it but actually i read it already eric hayes brother hayes uh, let's say ted moore welcome aboard uh, who else is here with us today? Who else is here with us today? We also have, uh, para ver, para ver quien más está aquí. Christine Park, welcome aboard. If I miss Ted Moore, welcome aboard. If I miss you, E2247, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see, uh, Deborah John, I think I got you. Paul Fleming, welcome aboard, Paul. Great seeing you here, buddy. I, th I think I saw you here yesterday, too. Uh, let's see who else is here. If I miss you again, just drop me a line at the bottom and I will be more than happy to scroll back down. Uh, KMR Summer, welcome aboard. Uh, okay, going up, continuing. E I think I got E2247, Christine Park, I got her. Okay, I'm still scrolling up. E Willie, somebody using my name. Okay, it's fine, no problem at all. Uh, Carol Davison, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see, Carol Davison, I got you in, and uh, KR Summer, I got you in. Okay, I think I've, I'm close to the top, I hope I'm close to the top. Okay, I think I got everybody. In case I didn't call your name out, 
drop me a line, it'll end up to the bottom, and I'll get a chance to salute you because you know I want to salute everybody. Please, folks, if you're in, if you, uh, Melissa Noble, welcome aboard. Egberto, as someone coming from another country, you know more than, stop it. Okay, and uh, Fall Fleming, ATL checking in. Absolutely so. Look, guys, I appreciate you being here. Please remember to go get my book if you have the wherewithal to do so. Here is the link to my book. Uh, for those of you uh, who want to cut out the middlemen, go to my store, get my book, get Bridge MCP's Cup, uh, etc. And guys, I forgot to put my brother on the, on the screen here. Look at, uh, he got his cup. Look at that. Check that out. Uh, Norman Reynolds got his cup. He's have that serious face on and he's drinking from it. You know, that's my brother from another mother. Uh, so anyhow, and please folks go ahead and support us at PayPal as well. Politicsunright.com slash PayPal, as well as Patreon, politicsunright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Egberto, why do you have to put those into your show every time? That's the only way we don't have, that's the only way we get the support from all of this. So folks, thank you so kindly for having been here. Um, couldn't do this without you. Join our PDR Posse support the program. You have a wonderful day. Love you all. My name is Egberto Willies. This is Politics Done Right, and you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. Has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day.